people remember me because I was a different kid. I didn't go to school dances. I didn't go to prom. I used to be at five o'clock in the morning running heels. I didn't want to let a gift of mine go to waste. Welcome to Beyond the Ordinary from Red Bull. I'm Nick Bright and this is where we introduce you to the people pushing the boundaries of sport, adventure, gaming, culture and so much more. Today, we're bringing you the incredible story of one man's quest to be extraordinary. What if I became the world's fastest regular player? What if I inspired many people around the world and showed that you can do anything but your mind to? So he once raced against some of the fastest sprinters in history and famously said no to the NFL. My heart really ain't in it like it used to be. And I said, well, I'm going to stay for the money. Is that the right thing to do? You know, I said, here I was blessed to be able to inspire so many people around the world and I'm going to sacrifice all that for what? And in 2021, he's set to shine on the greatest stage of all. If they can go to Tokyo and win an Olympic medal, rugby will explode in America and Carlin will be right at the heart of that. He's known as the fastest rugby player on the planet and he's always pushing the limits. Carlin Isles is beyond the ordinary. Like all good sporting stories, Carlin Isles is in many ways an underdog. But unlike others I can think of, Carlin Isles is also a shapeshifter. He's tried on many guises in his sporting career. College record breaker, track and field wannabe, American footballer, before he came to where he is today. A rugby seven superstar. I love rugby. I'm able to express myself. That's one thing that I love the most is be able to express myself. When I run fast on a field, there's nothing like it. I feel on top of the world and nothing matters. I feel like, man, I'm, I'm using my gift and my gift is running fast. There's nothing like the sport, man. And it, it found me and embraced me. I, I love it, man. It's fast, it's furious, it's fun. Less players, less set piece. Sevens is beauty and it's simplicity. Rugby Sevens, the sport that Carlin said found him. If you've never watched Sevens or you don't know too much about it, here's commentator Rupert Cox to explain. Sevens players are Olympic athletes. You can't play elite sevens if you're not an elite athlete. When Rugby Sevens became an Olympic sport, the real game changer for the players. Everybody had to upskill their strength and conditioning to get to a place where they could they could go to that that high intensity environment in a sevens match that they they weren't really used to going to before because the game became so much more competitive. And now, one of the reasons some players in the 15 side game don't play sevens is because they know it's just too tough. Rugby Sevens to me, man, it's a, it's a fast-paced game. It's explosive. Um, it's exciting. Uh, non-stop action. There's always something going on. You can't really leave for long because you might miss all the action. But, man, there's, there's no sport like it. An American playing Rugby Sevens. This must be a huge rarity. It's not the biggest sport over there, is it? No, not at all, man. It's um, definitely not. So, especially when I first started, I didn't know much about it at all. Um, so... Now it's grown rapidly in the U.S., so it's, but it's not our first love like it is in other places. As Rupert and Carlin said, Rugby Sevens is fast and furious. So in many ways, it's a game that's perfectly suited to someone like Carlin. But just how fast is he? 
there'd been quite a lot of talk about him, you know, he, this track athlete that had run a personal best of 10.13 for the 100 and almost made the USA London 2012 Olympic team. They put the speed radar on him and he's he's got up to around 36 miles per hour, which is pretty fast, right, running. And when you pitch side, ground level, and you see Carlin get the ball and run, it's kind of unbelievable because they're all really fast. All of a play. You can't play sevens. Even the forwards are wingers in 15s, right? So they're all lightning quick. Carlin is about three yards faster than all of them. And that's when I kind of realized, oh, wow, this guy's this guy's something else. So how does a kid from Ohio in America, where, as we've heard, the sport isn't that big, grow up to become the world's fastest rugby player? Carlin takes up his own story. Everything, especially my childhood to now, I've done a lot of it on my own as far as the mental part. And the hardest thing is the mind, you know, conquering the mind. And a lot of people don't know how to conquer the mind. They suppress things. They don't deal with things. And for me, I've been alone in a road that I feel like the loneliness will always be a part of me because it made me who I am, because it made me understand myself. It made me understand life. It made me understand people. It made me face the things that were difficult. I had to face it because if I didn't face it, my, my destination or my outcome wouldn't have been what it is now. And for me, I had to go through the wall. I had to. But most people hit a wall and they sit down and they just look at the wall. But I had to find a way to go through it. And I've always been like that. I had to because I know what was at stake if I didn't climb it, if I didn't go through it. Well, just on, you know, you mentioned there growing up and, and loneliness. What, what was that loneliness, Carlin? Um, because your, your story is inspiring. I think people need to hear it. So just tell us about your childhood. Man, when I was, when I was a child, I got a twin sister. And uh, one day... Her and I were in the yard and, you know, a bunch of cops came and they took my twin and I away. But growing up prior to that, you know, we were living in homeless shelters. We were living in a car and we were, we were struggling. And they took us from my mother, you know, placed us in a foster home. I remember the first foster home. They hit me with a belt with the metal part. They made me stand there and they swung the belt at my face. And then they made my twin and I fight. And then we got removed from there. We went to another foster home for like a day. And then we went to another one. And then another one, I used to run away from home because I, I, I hated that. And I used to pray and say, God, please get me out of here. And I used to have to fight to protect my twin and I. I had to f- literally fight. I remember one day I was out outside and a ring of people came and, and I was fighting the people in the house. You know, and, you know, they made my twin and I fight. We had to eat dog food. And, you know, I couldn't read. I couldn't write when I was younger. I struggled. And that that battle there was was man, was was scarring. And I just wanted out because I knew if I stayed in that environment, I'd probably been dead or in jail. Because the way the circumstances were and the way that our upbringing at that time was and it, it was bad. It was bad. And um I always knew my objective and what I wanted to to be and become in life and it wasn't easy. And I'm telling you, man, it's difficult because it, you know, I kept a dream and a vision alive for so long. When I found out when I was eight years old, I was fast and I had a gift. And I honed that gift from when I was eight until nine. I'm still the same way. And people remember me by the things that I used to do that was ordinary or different. Because I was a different kid. I did things. I didn't go to school dances. I didn't go to prom. I used to be at five o'clock in the morning running heels. 
chasing school buses. I was just so driven and focused because I didn't want to be, you know, just a, a statistic. I didn't want to let a gift of mine go to waste. And I remember when I first, you know, started playing sports at eight years old, my dad said, I remember he said, if you're the fastest, don't ever let nobody beat you. And I worked my tail off and I used to run up the hills in snow, working out over and over and over and over again, just so I can be fast. And for me, um, I've always had to overcome stuff. I remember I was younger and people said I was too small. They doubted me. I was always had to deal with doubt. People doubted me, thought I was too small, this and that, and I proved people wrong. And it made me strong. And ever since then, I just, I just been a fight all my life. Carlin's upbringing was tough, but he was tougher. There's no way I should be where I'm at today. There's no way. There's no way. I'm telling you, no way. But I knew what I could do. And I knew that I had to fight because if I stopped, then I would let the fear that I always feared come true. Fear drove me. That's one thing that drove me, fear. And I remember one thing that always helped me was Rocky. I used to watch Rocky movies because he used to, he, he was a, he came up from nothing, but he was a fighter. And that's how I was. I related myself to Rocky. And so whatever life came at me, I tried to put it at the right perspective because I knew I had a gift and I wanted to show people that, you know, you can't be like everybody else when you have a gift. You got to be different. Carlin was different. He was gifted and he was and is very, very fast. In school and college, he became a star in his American football team. He also held records in the 100, 200 and 400 metres and was one of the fastest sprinters in the whole of America. And back then, the young Carlin had one goal, the Olympics. At that time, the road to the Games seemed laid out on the track. Hi, I'm Bianca Knight. I am the Olympic world record holder at the 4x100 meters, and I am a mom. So, Bianca, when did you first meet Carlin? Talk to me about that that day or, or that moment. Do you remember it vividly? I cannot remember the exact date that Carlin came to us. It was a long time ago. But I do remember that Mike Rogers trained with us at the time, who was a 100-meter uh, sprinter, and he wanted to train with him. We just showed up one day, and this new guy was here. And he did just kind of look our group up on the internet and was like, okay, cool. I think I'll go down there and train with him. It can be quite intimidating, I think. I mean, I don't know for a fact because I'm not an elite level athlete at all. I wish I was, but it could be quite intimidating, I guess, if you're somebody joining a new group. But not only, you know, you mentioned there an Olympic level, elite level group you guys were. So, you know, the fact that he just came in and felt like part of the family is testament to his personality, I guess. It is. It is. Carlin came in and he didn't look out of place. He didn't act out of place. Basically treated the sport and treated everything as if, you know, he, it was his as well, you know, like this is what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to accomplish. And he came out, and he worked hard every single day and train worked out well for him. So I'm not surprised that he's doing so well in rugby. How fast is he then? He is very fast. He could keep up like, and he's actually one of those crazy fans. It's just like, really? Like you just come out here and you want to do this and you're <laughs> so good at it. Like you're so good at it. And he was excellent for Mike Rogers and everybody else that he trained with because he pushed them to the wire every single day. So it wasn't one of those situations where he was so far behind them and, you know, he wasn't like an asset to them. Like, no, he definitely helped them uh, become better athletes as well by training alongside him because he's so consistent and he works so hard. 
Bianca Nyatt won a gold medal in London 2012. And that might have been Carlin's destiny too, had it not been for rugby, a sport that he'd never even heard of. He YouTubes and stuff, and he was like, oh, this looks interesting. And one day he was telling us, hey guys, um, I'm leaving today. I'm headed to go try out for this rugby team. I was like, Carlin, really? Like, you, you know where you're going to stay? Like, I, you're just getting in the car and driving. And you're just like, yeah, but they said that I might be really good at it, so I'm just going to go. And it's just amazing to see. I think he was dubbed, like, the fastest man in rugby and all of the stuff that he's doing. It's just like, dang, that's crazy. If they only knew that he just YouTubed this and he just jumped on it without knowing anything about it. I never watched it, but they said, come play rugby. I think you'll be good. And I was like... Rugby, what is that? And I was like, football with no pads. And I said, no, nah, I'm not getting my teeth knocked out. I'm cool. And I didn't pay no attention to it at all until 2012 came. I always remember I was two weeks from trials trying to you know, chase a dream. Here's my dream right there. And I could smell it. I had $500 at the time. And I had to be real with myself. And a lot of people aren't real with themselves. I said, I've been running professionally at this level for like maybe a year and a year and a half. I said, I got four years left. If I don't make it, then I got four years left of the grinding and of the struggle. I was like maybe 21, 22 at the time. And I said, I want more for myself. You know, I said, when I start watching rugby, I clicked it on the internet, I remember. And I started watching it. And I said, what if I became the world's fastest rugby player? But what if I inspired many people on the world and show them that you can do anything put your mind to? And I saw that all through rugby. But it was a gamble because here I am. If this doesn't work out, I'm screwed. Mm. And I remember I got on the internet who to contact. You know, I was a CEO at the time. And I emailed him. I didn't think nothing about it. And I, and I was like, God, if this is what you want me to do, give me a sign and direction. He called me. Four days later, I packed up all my stuff. I moved up to Aspen, Colorado, where I was playing for a club there. I drove up there. I had $500, spent 250 in gas. I was sleeping on the couches, eating peanut butter and jelly working in a flower shop and then doing some construction. And I said, bro, I gotta make it. But the crazy part is, before I left Texas, with the training group I was with there, with Michael Rogers, Bianca Knight, I said, I'll see you in the 2016 Olympics. I told him that before I left. And people thought I was crazy. People thought, you know, me doing rugby, they thought I was crazy. But the thing is, they didn't see what I saw. I was gonna make them see what I saw, everybody. It's all very well having the strength of mind and faith to pursue your dreams, but it's another thing altogether to play a sport you've never played before at the highest level. Let's bring in Jack Knoll, a professional rugby union player and England international. People that come from other sports into the game of rugby, it doesn't happen that often, to be honest. You know, even players coming from rugby league to rugby union, that is very difficult in itself, but then to come from a completely different other sport is very rare. I couldn't imagine starting rugby and then being picked up for your national side a few months later just because of how quickly he, he must have taken it but obviously going from one sport to another which is completely different you know to go from athletics to then a ball game where you've got to chuck a ball around but then you've also got to tackle you know it takes great skill to do that but you know he's obviously a phenomenal athlete to be able to pick that up quickly and to then achieve what he's achieved so far. About a month of playing rugby, I got invited to a USA development tour in Canada. My head coach was going to be there. I said, this is my shot. Let me mind you, during that month, I worked my butt off to be the best that I can be. People didn't even know I was playing for rugby for about a month. I went up there, and there was a group of guys who have been playing all their life. I was there one month, only playing rugby one month. I got invited to the tour, toured up there, got a contract the next day. Boom. I got a contract with the USA rugby team. Moved to San Diego. Everything that I wanted came true plus more. And I knew it's crazy because it's a feeling that you know 
and it's hard to describe because it's the circumstances doesn't look like it, but you know that it's it's going to happen. You know that it's if you keep pushing, regardless, it's it's meant for you. But you got to go looking. You have to keep looking because you know why? It was behind a wall. It was it was in the dark, but it was waiting for me. It said, "Do you trust me? Are you willing to work regardless of the circumstances? Can you find me?" And the voice was there. It was like, "Come find me. I'm here." And bam. Life changed like that. Arles made his debut for his national team in October 2012, taking on the mighty New Zealand. Carlin scored a try within a minute of being on the pitch. Sevens commentator Rupert Cox remembers the first time he saw him play. It was 2012 at the Gold Coast Sevens, and we were covering the, the event for Sky back in studio in London overnight. And some of those overnight shifts can be can be pretty difficult, pretty graveyard with the time zone difference. And I remember Carlin scoring his, his first try and he gets the ball and he runs around the outside, beats about three or four defenders, could have put it down on the corner, didn't bother, beat another few to bring it around under the posts and had his tongue hanging out and you just thought, wow. And I think I think Nigel Starmer-Smith was commentating at the time and Nigel used to play rugby for England. I think his, his quote was, my goodness me, how I would have loved to have been as quick as that. It was a real stand up or get out of your seat and think, wow, we've seen something special here. But if we're being honest, he wasn't, he wasn't a complete rugby player. I mean, how could he be? He'd hardly played the game before. What's extraordinary about Carlin Isles is how he's developed since then and become one of the best rugby sevens players on the planet. News of Carlin's exploits on the rugby field soon spread with video clips of his tries going viral. But that isn't the end of the story for the world's fastest rugby player, because at this point, Carlin caught the eye of NFL team, the Detroit Lions, who offered him a contract. And we got to be honest, not many people say no to the NFL. What? Everybody thought I was crazy. Everybody. Boy, they're like, bro, what's wrong with you? But, you know, I tried it. And I was like, my heart really ain't in it like it used to be. And I said, well, I'm going to stay for the money. Well, is that the right thing to do? You know, I said, here I was blessed to be able to inspire so many people around the world. I became the world's fastest rugby player, a dream. And I'm going to sacrifice all that for what? For what? Money just to say I'm in the NFL. And when I looked at things from the right view and the right perspective, I said, I could probably get hurt tomorrow playing football. And they released me and I'll never be here again. And then all of that for what? Because I was chasing the wrong things. So I said, you know what? My goal was to go to the Olympics. I was blessed with all this stuff. So that's what I'm supposed to be. Not here, there. And I had to be disciplined in that and have the right intentions. And bam, paid off. Hi there, I'm Mike Friday. I'm the USA Men's Rugby Sevens head coach. His commitment, his focus to being the best he can is relentless. That coupled with this mental resilience and resolve that he has, for, for probably born from the experiences he's had through life, create the man that he is. And I think what makes Carlin extra special is that everything Carlin has done, he's done in front of the camera. 
He hasn't done behind closed doors and learned his trade. Every mistake he's made, every time he's got it wrong, um, he's had to do it in front of the cameras on the World Series. I think that's a credit to the to the guy, both physically but also mentally, to stay in that fight and stay focused on the job in hand. I wanted to ask you about the Olympic experience, actually. Can you remember the moment the US team qualified for the Olympics in Rio? Yeah, I, I can. Yeah, we were, we were down in, um, in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was an oven. Ultimately, we always knew it was going to be uh, a one-off game against us, against Canada in the final. And it was one of those kind of performances of grit, resilience and accuracy in execution that, you know, you dream for at the most important time. And, and they did it. There was a lot of relief when that final whistle went. I distinctly remember Carlin just dropping to his knees because you could just see that he got there. He'd done it. Mm. He was. He knew that he had a shot of going to the Olympics now and it was now within his grasp and his gift to work towards playing in the Olympic Games. I remember I called my, my, one of my good friends, Chris Majori, because he believed in me. And all I wanted was somebody to believe in me. And... um I cried and said I did it because it was tough. Carlin and his USA team had made it to the biggest stage of all, but fate nearly ruled him out of the very thing he'd worked so hard for. His coach, Mike Friday, takes up the story. Carlin, again, had had to overcome some huge issues just before the tournament because in our final warm-up, we were playing New Zealand. He suffered a horrendous injury to his knee. He got thrown into a, a golf cart on the side of the pitch that was poorly parked and cut both his knees open that, that need kind of deep stitching. It was, it was a tough two weeks for Carlin in the lead into the Olympics because he had to deal with the stitches and whether or not would he be fit or would he not be fit? Would he be able to go to the Olympics or would he have to withdraw? You know, he rode that roller coaster. And I think a lot of young men would have struggled. But again, Carlin's mental resilience and his strength and his focus to stay on task and stick to the plan to try and get himself where he needed to get to, pulled him through. And, you know, Carlin played a, a huge part in the tournament. And it was even more remarkable considering what he'd had to deal with for the three weeks leading up. I was almost telling myself I'm fine with not going. I qualified. I, I did it even though the circumstances happened. I'm fine with not going. I'm glad I went eventually. Like I went, but I didn't think I was to. It was so bad. It was bad. It's almost like you don't take no for an answer. I sure don't. Oh, no, I don't, I don't take no no for an answer because I'm, 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 I'm a dog and I'm fighting. I know what I want. I'm going to get it. However I'm going to get it, I'm going to find a way. Despite his injuries, Carlin did find a way to make it to Rio. His Olympic dream finally becoming a reality. His experience was great because, you know, I was on a bus, you know, talking to Serena Williams, you know, on a bus talking to, you know, all the NBA guys, people I looked up to or saw on TV. And here I am there with the best in the world. Just looking at Usain Bolt warming up. Looking at, I'm like, I'm right here videoing them. Boom, boom, boom. I'm right here. Like, mm -hmm. Carly, you are here. You did it. All that pain and suffering and, and fighting, it paid off. It was surreal, man, because I did it. I did it. I painted my picture how I wanted to paint it. My name is Perry Baker, and I play wing for the USA Sevens program. I've known Carlin since I came into the program, which was back in 2014. And um, he was just a stand-up guy from the moment I came in. 
I'm, I'm sitting on the bus and Carla, me and Carla, we always were together. We're sitting side by side on the bus and here comes Serena Williams on the bus and there's no seat. Before he, before anything can happen, Carla just stops everything. It's like, Serena, you can sit here with me. You can sit here with me. So he slides in and she sits right down with him. I just started laughing so hard though. Like just being in the same village with everyone who has one goal and that's to win medals for your country. And it's just so cool. Something you can't dream of. If Carla was to listen to this podcast, I'm pretty sure he is. I just got a message to ask him is, uh, who's faster than you? He always have a saying, nobody's faster than me. <laughs> the Eagles may not have won gold in 2016, but Carlin's popularity soared and he earned a lot of fans along the way, according to Rupert Cox. Carlin was a headline act, there's no doubt about it. I mean, people went to the sevens to watch Carlin Isles and people like him who have something different. Not only his natural talents that he's been gifted with, but also his personality, you know, he turns up wearing karate kid headbands, you know, and, and World Rugby had to give him special dispensation to wear his to wear his bright red headband once. I mean, he, he does things like that. He's an eccentric, he's a personality, he's got charisma and sport needs those kind of people. Four years on, for Isles and his teammates, all eyes are on Tokyo. But Carling's not content with competing in just Rugby Sevens this time around. No, sir. I'm trying to do two sports. Most of us would give our right arm to be even half decent at one sport. And you're like, yeah, I'm just trying to go to the greatest show on earth for two sports. Yeah, two sports, baby. That is mad. So so what two, I'm guessing rugby sevens and what, track and field? Yeah. What's your distance in track and field? So I'm doing 100. <laughs> There's no stopping this guy, honestly. No, sir. Just stay curious. Whatever y'all do, be curious because that's how you grow. If there's anyone who can take on two different events in Tokyo, it's Carlin. So says his former track and field training partner, Bianca Knight. For Carlin, yes. With his work, and I'm pretty sure he's researched how to do it. He's probably knows the time frame in between, what he's going to need to do to recover. I'm pretty sure he has all the information that he needs and he's working towards achieving those goals. If anything, he's going to try He's going to try. He's probably going to get really close if he does not achieve making both teams. And despite all he's achieved so far, there's still more to come from Carlin Isles, according to his coach, Mike Friday. To represent your country in the Olympics, especially for an American, is just a phenomenal achievement. But if we can, if we can go there and perform and continue to be at the forefront in the world game as an unfashionable rugby nation to really be recognised as a, as a top four team in the world, you know, for the last five years consistently, that's the way we are positioned, is all, already huge achievement for Carlin and his teammates. But, you know, it, for us and for them and for the boys, it's about delivering and trying to do the job in Tokyo. And that's the challenge. That's what drives Carlin and the boys every single day to get better, to ensure and give us the best opportunity to represent the people of America in the way that they think they should be represented. You know, full stadiums, I mean, they, they seem a million miles away at the moment. But um, that would, you know, that just brings the hairs on the back of your neck up. And hopefully loved ones in the stadiums watching or if not knowing that they're watching on the TV will be a, a huge driver for all of the boys um, as, as they strive to try and make history. If Carl Niles and the USA Sevens team, men's or women's for that matter, can win a gold medal in Tokyo... That's a game changer. 
every athlete in America aspires to be an Olympian and to be an Olympic champion. And if they can go to Tokyo and Carlin can help them win a gold medal, he'll be a he'll be a superstar in the States and it will it will completely awaken this sleeping giant that is there in America when it comes to rugby. They've already become one of the best teams in the world. But if they can go to Tokyo and win an Olympic medal, rugby will explode in America and Carlin will be right at the heart of that. Commentator Rupert Cox there. One thing's for sure, whatever happens next in the story of Carlin Isles, he's already proved that dreams can come true. Whatever was meant for you in your heart, regardless of how it may look to the outside or even to yourself at the present, it's meant for you. And nothing can stop you unless you allow it to. But in order to obtain it, you must put in the work and chop that wood to keep that fire lit. Because if you stop chopping the wood and you let the fire go dim, then you will lose it. And most people would because the circumstances or it's taking too long. So they stop. So you gotta keep moving forward. You gotta keep your eye on the objective regardless of whatever comes at your life. Because at the end of the day, if you keep your eye on the objective, when the sun finally shines, you'll be exactly where you need to be. The incredible, inspirational Carlin Isles there. If you'd like to discover more, you can follow him on social media at Carlin Isles and head over to redbull.com for the latest news, videos and features with the likes of Carlin and loads more inspiring athletes too. If you like what we're bringing you on Beyond the Ordinary, you guys know the drill. Drop a rating and review and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We'll be going behind the scenes of a whole host of sports and events that you may not know much about, but you will do after this, as well as bringing you some special episodes that look at one person's extraordinary journey, just like this one with Carlin. So until then, thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. Stay safe, take care.